Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Thank you. That's the voice of Dick Warren. My voice is Christopher McCulloch, Master Certified Coach, and I'm here with Alex Terranova, as I often am. Would you say that we were partners, we were friends, we were pals? What would you say? Bosom buddies? Are you still <laughs> say that? <laughs> Strangers on a podcast. There's a great title, by the way. Uh, how are you? I'm good. As I, as I just shared with you a minute ago, I, um, I like ate myself sick yesterday, and I, I woke up hating myself and and asking that question that I think we all usually ask after Thanksgiving, but hopefully not other days of the year, like, why do we do this to ourselves? Nice. And do you, did you give yourself an answer, a coach-like answer? Uh, my answer was because you hate yourself and you should go do, and you should go sit in front of a mirror and tell yourself, tell yourself you love yourself. But um, I didn't make room for that this morning. I made room for the food, but not for that, not for the self-love work. And welcome to another episode of Why Affirmations Don't Work. Just kidding. The uh, um, Anything you want to talk about? It seems like we've gone a long time without talking about the war in Ukraine. And what can we say except there's a monumental tragedy and, and ridiculousness happening? Anything you want to address there or do you want to stick with the food uh, food I, comas? You know, if we're going to go in that direction, I am. I would be curious to your thoughts on the conversation about um, culture, race, privilege in that conversation. You know, I've noticed a lot of I'm sure you've seen a lot of those conversations where you see, you know, the the white reporter going, oh, my God, there are these people with blue white people with blue eyes. They're not like regular refugees. And you're like, wait, what? You know, right. This this connotation that you have to have dark skin or brown or black to be like a, a refugee. Um, but I also noticed the people, including myself, the, the blind spots we have are get pulled into the, oh, I, I need to donate, I need to do something. Yet there are things, tragedies like this, right? Happening all over the world. They might not be actual wars, but people not having food, not having shelter, not having water, living in, in terrible conditions. And yet we're not called to those things. Just curious your take on that. What a beautiful spot to put me in. Uh, well, I, I know, I know this is, I mean, I know it's important to you, right? You do this work within your company to make, to, to increase awareness around diversity and inclusion. And, and so it seems like it would be something that y'all would be talking about. I think that this is going to be awkward, but I think that there's a benefit because more people are experiencing empathy because of our, our, and I'm hopefully unconscious bias, right? That when things happen to people that we can relate to that are bad, we can feel more empathy. We can be, hopefully this opens our eyes to, oh, this is a tragedy on a human scale. Because I think that most of us, at least the, the people that I talk to and work with are often, it's easier to find a way to distance ourselves from tragedy, pain, loss, and horror than to put ourselves there. It's, it's painful to even have you know, I don't know about you, but when we when I see or hear about the tragedies and atrocities that are happening in the war, it's easy to distance myself. I, I can only time I, I can only deal with it for a short time. Do you have that or am I just particularly wimpy? I have a pretty big, I think, bandwidth for it because I think it takes my mind off of me bitching about my own. Yeah. Your food right? like, so yeah, yeah. I can like actually I think I actually can be with it's just a different distraction, but I don't know that you're fully being with the feelings of it, right? You're, I'm reading about it, I'm watching it, but I'm not like actually embodying the the pain or the empathy. Yeah. That, that to say, I'm not a big, I, I, I'm pretty honest, like I'm not a big donator in terms of just sending money. Like I, I, I usually feel like taking action is more. No matter how much I ask. And I've donated money because I've, in this situation, because I actually got, I want to say hooked, like my emotions yeah. got hooked. Yeah. And I think that's actually, I hope that my meaning is being, uh, is, is coming across clear, right? If we automatically want to distance ourselves from those painful experiences of other humans, 
and anything then that has us relate to it more or identify and and say oh this could happen to me allows more empathy allows us to to imagine what that horror is like and then to your point taking action from that place in support of humans is a is a good thing so whatever gets us to empathy is and action is better does that make sense i'm very worried about my words saying no, sounding no. i i think they i, I see it <laughs> mccullough came out pro-war no that's not what i said no 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 i i, I what i hear you saying is while well, it's not ideal, right? The the thing that I, the picture I painted that we pay attention to maybe people that look like us or the, the biases we have. Right. If that does open us up a little bit, yeah. then we may have more access to the people that don't look like us or we don't quote unquote relate to. Exactly, when it, feel, when it feels like a country that's far different than ours or, or an experience that's far different than us, maybe we can extrapolate that. Mm kindness, care, sympathy, no. empathy that we feel for these people to those people. Thanks for getting what I was no. trying to lay down. And I feel like we dove into the deep end of the pool here. We usually like have some, you know, light banter about your mustache. By the way, you're keeping it. It's here right now. You just have to learn to accept it, right? I have to accept, I learned just to accept to this discomfort that I'm in, in my body. And you have to learn to accept the discomfort that you're now in with your, in your body because of my mustache. <laughs> I also want to remind our <laughs> listeners that, uh, you know, people say it's not good to kick people when they're down, but um, I think, you know, it's so convenient, right? So when you're feeling bad about how you, what's something you ate, uh, it's a great time to cap on your mustache. All right. Uh, that's enough of us. Don't you think that might be too much of us? How about if we get to our um, our guest? You want to introduce him? Me too. Uh, so no, this excited. is your, stop. You always try to pawn off your jobs on me. This is your job. This is your show. One day, maybe it will be my show, but right now it's your show. And then it will be a better show, I think is what you're saying. Um we're so delighted to welcome uh, John Strzelecki to our microphone. He's a number one best-selling inspirational author of many books, including his latest, The Cafe on the Edge of the World. But you may know him from What I've Learned, The Big Five for Life, The Big Five for Life Continued, and others. His works have been translated into 43 languages. Um, an extraordinary man. When he's not writing or speaking, he spends extensive time backpacking around the world. He's taken extended trips to Africa, Africa the Amazon Basin, Southeast Asia, Europe, and others. Uh, I welcome... To our microphone, John Strzelecki. Hello, sir. Hello. Welcome, guys. Thanks for being with us. Um, Thanks for the info. Look around, look around outside. Where are you today? Uh, I'm in the Florida area, so I get to see bright sunshine. The Florida area. I, I like that non-specific response. Uh, exactly. Yeah, keep it just, just intriguing enough that people are wondering and not so specific that they can find me. Now, one of the things that people who have, who have, followed you or no, by the way, you're available on all the places, Instas and the LinkedIn's and the Twitter's, all at John Strelecki, which should let people know, J-O-H-N-S-T-R-E-L-E-C-K-Y, S-T-R-E-L-E-C-K-Y. Um, no, is that you are one of those people who was very close to death, very close to death. How close? Yeah. Uh, one one hundredth of a second away from death, actually. Yeah, that's pretty close. Tell us. Tell <laughs> well, us everything. Did, yeah. Was there a light? Was my there grandmother there? Well, no, it was, a, it was a crazy experience, actually. I, uh, I was driving. I had bought a truck. I, it was the first vehicle that I ever bought that was new. Um, it was about uh, six years ago. And I was driving it with my daughter. She was uh, seven at the time. Adorable. Yeah, yep, 100%. And uh, out of everything in the world that I care about, that kid is at the top of the list, no doubt about it. And so I was leaving my parents' house. I was driving down kind of a country road, and there were giant oak trees that overhang the road. And it's somewhat residential, somewhat country, so it's not like this should have happened. But uh, we were driving down the road, and all of a sudden, a 40-foot-long piece of a tree just decided that it was time to leave the major tree, and it fell. And it hit the truck and uh, destroyed the truck. So the truck was one month old, and the truck was completely destroyed. Um, it shattered the back window in and my daughter, I don't know if you guys have kids, but uh, I do when your kids hit a certain point, I think it's about 70 pounds. If I remember correctly, that's when they can move into the front seat. And literally days prior, um, she had just started moving into the front seat. Well, the back window, the way that the giant piece of the tree hit the truck shattered the window in. And so had she have been sitting in the back seat, I'm sure that she would not have survived. And if she had survived, she would have been horribly disfigured for the rest of her life. 
Um, and had we have been going one one hundredth of a second faster, the giant tree would have gone straight through the windshield and killed both of us. Uh, so it was absolutely crazy. And what was weird about it is that it happened so fast. There was just, we're driving down the road, we're having a conversation, and there's a massive banging sound. And I was like, what was that? And I pull over, and it was only then that I realized that I'm covered in glass, she's covered in glass, and you start to you know, process what the heck just happened. Uh, so yeah, one one hundredth of a second away from death. It was crazy. In and there's there's multiple questions that I want to ask you, but in <laughs> the 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 first is um, what do you even say to your you know your daughter in that moment? Yeah, a great question, Alex. And so I was cognizant of that the minute that I looked over and I saw the glass. So there's the first second of just shock, like what the heck just happened. And then you look over and I was instantly aware that I need to handle this in the right way or she's going to be traumatized for a long, long time. And so I looked over, I saw the glass and said, hey, boo, you okay? Just like, you know, as if we had both tripped on the sidewalk, right? And she said, yeah, I think so. What happened? And I was like, I'm not sure. Let's uh, let's dust off the glass and get out of the car and take a look. And so literally, like, we're flinging glass off of ourselves, and we get out of the truck and take a look. And it was clear the truck was just gone. And uh, so I said, you know, why don't we call Grandma and Grandpa? Because we had just left their house. I said, and I'm going to sit here and deal with the people about the truck and the rest. Everything will be fine, but why don't you hang with Grandma and Grandpa a little bit? And so I called my parents right away. They came in 10, 15 minutes and got her there. And afterwards, Alex, we had a really good conversation about it. And I have to say that my kid is a philosopher. Um, she's a real, she's incredibly empathic. She's very compassionate for her fellow human beings. And she's a thinker. And I said, Boo, why do you think that happened to us? And she gave me this unbelievable answer. Keep in mind, this is a kid who's seven years old at the time. And she said, you know, she said, I think that if someone had been driving a car, they'd have been dead instantly because we're in this truck and this truck could handle it. And this particular route is the route that all the high school kids walk when they leave high school and then they go to wherever they're going. And she said, and, and I, I think so many times we've driven by to grandma's house and we've seen all those high school kids walking. And she said, if they had been walking there, it would have killed many of them. And she said, I think it happened to us because we could stand it in the truck. I mean, that's, that was just incredible wisdom. And oh. You know, at each time we would drive that route, we would talk about it. And and because for a while it was very uncomfortable in the car. I don't know if you've ever been in an accident <laughs> like that, but yeah. like you literally get in the car and, and your heart rate is highly accelerated because you're just looking at every tree and thinking, is this going to happen again? Or and again, when you when you're driving with someone that you care about, someone that you love so much, it's not the fear that something will happen to you, it's the fear that something will happen to them. That's really what drives the heart rate. Um, but yeah, it was it was a crazy experience. And I think it's so easy in our everyday lives to get pissed off about what is really small stuff to get bothered. And I'm, I do that as well. I'm not saying that I don't do it. Um, but it is one thing that I reflect on often and say, well, listen, I was handed this incredible gift uh, of, of still being alive. And so, you know, the rest of this stuff is small stuff. And it sounds like that's the, you took a little different message than your daughter, by the way, amazing job, dad. Because I can't imagine how the adrenaline was pumping and, you know, you were like, holy bajoli, although you probably thought of different words. And uh, and so to be, I mean, you seem like a chill guy, but that's pretty chill, right? To be able to say, hey, uh, are you okay? You know, let's go get grandma and grandpa instead of, ah. <laughs> um, so nice job. But Thank what you. was the, what do you think you took from that very near death experience? Yeah, crazy enough, this is the second time for me. Um, the other time is I was in Africa. I'll tell the story very briefly, but I was in Africa. Uh, Same road? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, uh, I was in Africa. I was backpacking around the world in my early 30s, uh, which is sort of part of my a major part of my life story. I'd left everything behind, a career, successful, everything, and decided to go backpack around the world to really experience life. And I love to fish. And so I, there was one particular part that I was in in South Africa, and I decided I wanted to fish this river. And to get there, I parked my car and then I had to walk like 100 yards or so and come up underneath this bridge. And so I parked, I walked the path, I got underneath the bridge, and no sooner did I get underneath the bridge than a car came flying upside down off the bridge and came crashing down into the riverbank where I had just been walking seconds earlier. And uh, that was a crazy experience because 
I rushed to the car and I don't know about you guys, but in the movies, the car always explodes, right? It, it hits the ground and then blows up a few seconds later. And so I rushed to the car and I'm screaming to the people in the car, we got to get you out. The car is going to explode. The car is going to explode. And so uh, I got two of the people out. I said, is everybody else in there? They said, there's two more people. There was a guy that had actually been thrown through the windshields and I found him and got him to shore. And the last guy in the car was about 280 pounds. I weigh about 160 pounds and to get a 280 pound guy out of a car and a seatbelt, but I'm screaming at the guy, like, we got to get you out of the car is going to explode. Well, luckily the car did not explode. And I talked uh, after that to my buddy who was an engineer that works for Ford. And he was like, dude, like the car doesn't explode. What do you think we designed these things for? Right. Uh, so I was a victim to the movie industry on that one, but I, you know, having gone through that one time, uh, I, I asked myself the question of why, why did I have that five second gap? You know, is it just random coincidence or is there something major to take away from that? And as you guys probably know, just from reading my bio, I'm perpetually aware that life is very short. Statistically, we get about 28,900 days. And if you're lucky, you get some more, but statistically you're going to get about 28,900. Some people get less and you don't know when that day is coming. And uh, if I've learned anything through the course of my life, it is to be very focused on the things that matter to you, whether it's time with your family, whether it's go being an adventure, whether it's doing something entrepreneurial and, and uh, helping others like doing a podcast, but you might as well get in the game and give it a shot because there's no for sure two minute warning like there is in football. And if that moment comes and it could have come twice for me with the, the two incidents, it's just over. So I would hate to get to that point and be like, dang. Look at my life and all the things that I wish I would have done. It's a go, go ahead. I'm curious. Do you have any, do you have any near like death experiences? Um, there were some, there were some poor decisions when I was a younger man, especially around drugs and alcohol and places to be, but no, nothing, nothing quite as nothing stark. Close. What I love about John's, stories is you can, you know, they're visceral, right? You can almost feel what it's like to be in that truck or to be a, yeah. by that river. And um, I don't, I don't think I get messages quite that clear. I get messages the next morning, like you made some poor decisions. What, what about you, Alex? Do you have near death 1000? Only the one time where you, when you knew me when I was driving back from San Diego to LA and I fell asleep while I was driving. Um, and I like hadn't done anything wrong, right? I just was tired and overworked and shouldn't have driven that night. And I did. And I fell asleep and I woke up right as my car was about to hit the side wall. And I'd crossed four lanes of the 405 freeway in California, which if you're in Cal Southern California, you know, is like the busiest freeway in America. Right. That is and it was like a Monday night at like 10 or 11 o'clock. So it wasn't even, you know, it was like two in the morning when no one's on the road. And somehow I went across four lanes, didn't hit anyone, woke up right before I was about to hit the wall to jerk the car back from hitting the wall. Both axles blew out. Um, which was nuts that they snapped in the like in the coming in the basically bring I hit like a um, one of those temporary traffic signs, um, and then the car stopped back in the middle of the freeway. No one hit me, and I looked up to Amazing. see cars, you know, big rigs, cars. And um, after kind of gathering myself, I ended up jumping out of the car and running across the freeway, and then standing Holy there God. waiting to see a car hit, the, you know, something. And nobody hit the car, but. Um, I think that was the closest I've ever, and I can relate to John where for almost a year, every time I got in the car, every time I would have to hit the brakes a little bit harder, like hot, tingly sensations. And I, I was really present to, oh my God, this is a trauma response, right? This is a PTSD style. And, and I was fine, right? I didn't have a scratch, a broken, um, and I, yet I was still having that response. So it made me imagine like, man, what about? if I had been hit, right? Or if I'd been in the hospital for weeks or somebody that goes to war. Um, but I was, I was also really present to, it wasn't the value of like the value of a day. It was, it was that, how do I spend, right? Like just to what you're saying, John, like how do I spend my time that really matters? Um, do you think there was a reason why it happened at that moment, Alex? You know, I don't, I don't, I've never really thought about that moment um, in the sense of like, why that moment? Um, I think it was an overall that there was a period, that period of my life, there was um, an ending of an engagement, a moving uh, from North, from New York back to California, or I didn't know where I was going to go. And so I think there was a lot of things in flux. 
part of me is like, maybe it was like, wake up. Mm-hmm. Um, I do also, I do think that there's, for me, especially there, it's, especially the way my life has gone, there's often reminders of like, you're going to be okay. So stop worrying about shit and like, mm. go beyond, you know, be, do what you're committed to. Like you're, you, to Christopher's point, I, unfortunately, I mean, I'm glad nothing ever happened. I spent a lot of years in my early 20, in my tw- almost from 20 to 30, making really dumb decisions with alcohol and nothing bad ever happened. And when I look back, I'm like, man, I had a guardian angel or something that not only protected me, but protected other people that I could have hurt in the process. And these events to me remind me like you're here for a purpose. So you don't necessarily have to know it right now, but you better figure it out and you better get to it. Yeah, that's a, I mean, when you describe that scene of being in the middle of a four lane highway, the fact that nobody hit your car, the fact that there was nobody next to you right at the time to hit your car and the fact that nobody coming 70 miles an hour didn't, I mean, you'd think for sure someone would have plowed that. Yep. That is amazing to think that, yeah. So that is the reminder that you're covered. And if you could live fearlessly, what would be on the table for you? That's powerful. I'll tell you guys. So one of the takeaways for me as this, because that's a near death experience, right? And so, and you sort of, I remember growing up and hearing stories of people who, the guy who had a heart attack at 55 in the hospital. And then that was the moment where he changed his life dramatically. And then times have changed. Now it's not just the guy, but it's anybody. Like everybody's so stressed about so many different things. But one of the things that I discovered during my travels was that if possible, if we allow ourselves to to be open to it, you can have even better than a near-death experience to dramatically shift your life is a near-life experience. And that is the moment when you are so close to perfection, so aligned with whatever is your purpose, to your point, Alex, that you have the same tingle, but it's not the tingle of, holy shit, what's going to happen to me in the next five minutes, potentially. It's the vibration of an energy that tells you you are in the exact right spot, doing the exact right thing, and living the life that you're supposed to live. And those can actually be every bit, if not more powerful than the near-death experience, because they don't contain the trauma. Uh, They contain the positive aspects of it. And so that's what I love is this idea that, huh, all right, hopefully we don't all need the near-death experience to guide us towards the perfect near-life experience. But what is that? What is that near-life experience for you as a listener right now? And how many minutes per day are you spending on those things? It's such a beautiful reminder. And I love the 28,900 because I know Alex has spent at least 900 on podcasts, mostly listeners. (laughs) But yeah, Um, the the thing that you're perhaps most famous for is the big five for life. Do you want to tell us at least one of the big five for life? Yeah, the concept is something that came about during my travels when I was backpacking around the world. So when you go to Africa, I don't know if you guys have spent time in Africa, um, but if you haven't, I highly recommend it. It's a life-changing experience. I've never met someone who didn't come back and say the words, it changed my life. Um, There's just something very powerful, very intrinsic to who we are as human beings that exists in the African continent. And when you go there and you go on safari, everyone talks about something called the African Big Five, and it's five very specific animals, and they sort of gauge the success of their safari life based on how many of the five they see. Well, when I came back from this experience of a year of backpacking around the world, uh, I was inspired to write a little book called The Cafe on the Edge of the World. And this started to do really well, and people started asking me to speak. I mean, I wasn't a speaker. I wasn't even an author from my perspective. I didn't have sort of the formal training. I didn't know what I was going to talk about. And then one day I was taking a shower and I was trying to think about like, what am I going to talk about at this event? And this, this memory of being in Africa came to me. And I thought to myself, you know, people gauge the success of their safari based on how many of the five animals they see. But what would life look like if I gauge the success of my life based on how many of the five things that I most wanted to do, see, or experience in my life looked like? And what if I were to take the time to articulate these things as early in my life as possible, ideally even when I'm a teenager, and then allocate all of my resources, my time, my energy, my financial resources towards those five things so that if my life were to end in the trunk of a tree falling on my truck or an upside down flying car or falling asleep at the wheel, that in that last moment of life, I could look back over and say, you know what? No matter what else I did or I didn't get to, I got to my big five for life and therefore it was a success. It was good by my definition of success, not by my parents, not by my boss, not by my guidance counselor, but hey, this was the life that I wanted to live and I lived it. And 
it sounds really simple. And yet I've been sharing this with audiences for decades now. And, you know, I went through my entire education experience. I never had anybody and no fault to those people, but I never had anybody ask me, John, what's even one thing that you most want to do to your experience? And let's guide your academic curriculum to somehow enable you to make that part of your human story. I never had it. Did you guys have it? Absolutely not. I had the opposite. Here are the big five for you, right? But let me, uh, let me drill down on this, because when you talk about the things you most want to experience, I mean, for some of us, it's, you know, I don't know, Alex is probably a Taylor Swift concert, but that's not what you're talking about, right? What? No, it could be, though. Like, first of all, Taylor Swift runs an awesome concert. I went with my daughter, and it's, <laughs> it is, it, you should go. If you like music and you want to see someone do it really, really well, go to a Taylor Swift concert, because they right, have Billy one there be other whatever. But uh, no, it can be something short-term in nature. You may say, I want to go to I want to go to a particular concert. You may say I want to go to Africa and see the sunrise over the Serengeti one time. Maybe you say I want to take my significant other who's moving in with me, Alex, and uh, go to the top of uh, the, you know, the Seattle, whatever that dome is up there, the, the needle, right. uh, to have dinner and a drink and watch the sunset one night. Right. So that could just be a one-time thing. It could also be something that is longer term in nature. You may say, I want to have a loving relationship with the people that matter most to me. And that's something that goes on forever. So it doesn't really matter what's on your list as long as it's your list. That's the key thing. Let's, let's, play, a little, let's play a quick round. Um, what's something on your list, Alex? Oh, I mean, I never thought about it like, like this, but because I'm relating this to almost like your bucket list, but more values. Bucket lists are like things I need to do and this feels more, I guess they could be the same thing to your point, right? It could be the same thing, but it also feels bigger than that. Um, yeah, let me jump in, Alex, and tell you why it's not the bucket list while you're thinking. So our brains are so funny. The bucket list is a list of 100 things. And the challenge with 100 things is that we either look at it and go, okay, I want to feel really good about myself. I want to have the dopamine fixed. So what's the easiest one of the 100 to pick? And I'll do that one first. Or we look at the list of 100 and we go, that looks intimidating. I think I'll start that tomorrow. And so we never quite make progress. But with five, and these are the five most important ones that you want to do to your experience, you're 100% right. It combines the bucket list with the heart and narrows the focus to be what is really most important to me. Mm. Sorry, Alex. So I jumped in there as oh, context, but I want to hear what's on your, your answer. I mean, I want, I'm kind of want Christopher to go first because I don't know that I know <laughs> the, I don't know in that five that I know the answer to this, like off the, off the bat. Christopher, sure? I think I think you do know Alex, and you're like hedging. You don't have to. Well, I would. Well, but the one thing I would have said before this, before a year or two ago, was write a book, and I did that. Um, so okay. that would. But now I'm looking to me like I did that. So now I'm like, wait, what are the next? Right, I'm looking at five, which I guess it, it, maybe there's four now. <laughs> Yeah, so you get credit for the ones that you've already done. Uh, that is that's such a common thing for someone like, well, I did this. Can I get credit for that? Well, it's not really a credit thing. It's But yes, you can get credit for it if it fills the dopamine fix. Uh, but yeah, that's the great thing. So here you had this dream of doing something, which was writing a book, and you did it. And now the question is, what else is on your list? What else would make this just a truly successful life by Alex or Christopher's definition of success? Yeah, so well, I'm working my way out of this podcast. I will. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you an example from my life. So I actually remember the day I was 39 years old, someday when I was 39, I went from, I was expected to have wife and family, right? Marriage and family to the day that I chose it. Mm -hmm. Like I remember I had been, <laughs> I'd been engaged a few times and, um, and that was all from the should, right? As you pointed, somebody else's list or somebody else's thing. And I remember the day that I decided, oh, I don't actually want to leave this world without having had that experience of long-term committed relationship with, you know, making a home with kids. And each of those steps was such a profound one. You know, I remember being really fully present for my marriage and really fully present for the birth and, of my kids and really, you know, appreciating them every day, even when they're teenagers now. Um, so is there anything like that, Alex, maybe that you've seen that was like, oh, this was their expectation, but then I chose it? You know, I, I, this weekend, it's, it's it just kind of brought back. So this weekend, I was up in Santa Barbara for my uncle's celebration of life. 
and my uncle if i could like if there's one word is he is like he was life he i've never met a human who really lived and did lived on his own terms the way he wanted didn't always make other people happy it's often pissed people off you know or hurt feelings or created issues and ripples and not maybe positive ways for other people but the guy lived um and you know from from when i when i say that it's like from doing shaman healings where he was like being trained or led to you know i remember being a little kid and being driven up a mountain to go skiing and he's drinking beers as we drive up the mountain and i'm thinking when i get old i want to drink beers while i drive up a mountain <laughs> right like this this guy just lived his life and um the thing that i was present to at his at his celebration of life was his, I think his biggest desire, not only in living, was to leave a legacy. And it was clear at the celebration of life, the impact and the legacy that he left. That he left. And his coach was there. And his coach is a friend of mine and Christopher's. And she said to his daughter at one point, I was standing there and she goes, I don't know if he was present to, the, to this, like mm. to the impact that he had. I know that's what he wanted more than anything. But, was, but I don't know that he realized it while he was alive and that breaks my heart. And I, in hearing that, had a really similar thought. Like that is kind of what I want more than anything is not to leave and have people say good things about me, but to be here and see and have the experience of my life, have it ha happen as a, a reoccurring thing. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. And the beauty of that story, that's thank you for sharing that, first of all. I can see, I can see, I can hear the emotion in your voice. I can see the emotion because I'm watching you too. And you just talked about one of the most dramatic pieces of awareness. And that is people ask all the time, how do I change the world? Or they say, you know, that's part of my life goals to change the world. What, what do you recommend? And in all my thinking about it, all my analysis of it, you want to change the world, be authentic. Because the minute you're authentic in who you are, in the actions that you take, in the way that you treat others, it inspires everyone around you that it's okay to be authentic in their version of authentic. And the truth is that you will probably know one one thousandth of the impact of being authentic because someone's going to see you who's a complete stranger, but they'll see you riding your bike on the, the beaches of California with a smile on your face. And you're going to say, man, what, what does that guy know that I don't know? Maybe it's okay to ride my bike on the beach at two in the afternoon sometime, right? And you probably will never have a conversation with that person, but they will remember that moment because when we're authentic, we glow and people are drawn to us and they want to know what is it that enables you to be that. And that's it. You're living in alignment with the life that you've decided is your life. You're living your purpose. You're living your big five for life. You're being authentic. And in that moment, you change the world. And uh, I think, you know, you describing your, your book, Alex, trust me, 
there are tons of people who have read your book or just even heard about the fact that you did a book through this podcast who you'll never actually have a conversation with, but you've inspired them because of your authenticity. Oh, well, I, and I, th I think that being <laughs> present to it, that was the, the, the takeaway I got from the experience was when it's happening now, try, see if you can get present to it, right? Mm -hmm. So when somebody tells you, hey, I read the big five for life and it changed my life to really pause and kind of go, you know, like, like let it land and sink in like, wait, that's, I did it right there, right? Yeah. And, and, and hold on to that. And I think you know, Christopher, we give it, right? We acknowledge our clients. Sometimes our clients acknowledge us. And yet it's so easy for it to go right through us or past us or the next day we're not having a good day and we've forgotten all about it. Right. Um, and I think, yeah, to just, that was the, 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 the things that I had to, to, to your point about authenticity, John, for me, I saw it in my uncle as shoulds and shouldn'ts. He mm -hmm. didn't care about shoulds and shouldn'ts. He did what yeah. called his heart to do, which meant like, you know, surfing and skiing and, you know, traveling the world and all these things. And, um, and so that was his aspect of authenticity, but that to be able to pause in the moment and go, oh my God, I just changed somebody's life or have that reflection is, is that piece that maybe, I don't know if he did it right. I wasn't always there, but for me, that's the practice. That would be one of my, to just pause and go, wow, that that interaction changed somebody. Yeah, that's powerful. Do you keep a, so one of the things that's in the, the big five for life book, this was a, something that I I'm asked about often uh, because readers, as you probably know, from your experience uh, with writing, they, they, when they interact with you, they often tell you their favorite part of the book or the thing that meant the most to them or something that uh, created a, a ripple. And so in the big five for life book, there's a concept of museum day. And museum days, imagine if every moment of your life was recorded, everything you did, everything you said, all the places that you went, all the ways in which you spent your time. I'd have to apologize towards, for a lot. <laughs> well, and then towards the end of your life, uh, a museum is built to actually honor you, except it's going to show exactly how you spent your time and what you mm -hmm. did the rest of that. So if 80% of your time was spent at a job that you didn't like or on things that didn't bring you joy, then hey, hey. 80% of museum is dedicated towards that. And there's pictures and kiosks and videos and all the rest of that. And if you said, you know, what I really loved was um, spending time with my family uh, to your point, Christopher, or pursuing a particular passion or hobby, but you only spent 2% of your time on those loves, then no matter how much you wished it to be different at the end, only 2% of your museum is going to show that. And that alone is powerful, but where this really hit me in the process of, of having this experience was, Imagine if heaven or the afterlife or whatever your perception of the way this whole game works, and we can head down that path as much as you want. But imagine if that is actually you being the tour guide for your own museum for all of eternity. And when you start thinking about your life in those contexts, it just absolutely changes the game. It does for me. And this idea came to me actually walking through a tiny little museum here in central Florida. And they had all these pictures of people from the 1920s like high school graduation pictures. And I thought, man, like, did that guy, did he ask out the girl that he always wanted to ask out? And, and the, the girl who had that particular smile on her face, the adventurous smile, like, did she do it? Did she go and get on the tramp steamer and, and go around the world? Because all those people in those pictures were gone. You know, they, those pictures were taken in the 1920s. And that's where the idea came to me for this museum day concept. And it is something I think about every day, that if I literally do what's on my to-do list today, Am I going to be happy to walk that wing of the museum for all of eternity? Or am I going to be like, what in God's name was I thinking? That's such a beautiful, powerful, powerful image and reminder. I was thinking about all the years that I was building my business and traveling, traveling, traveling. You know, there'd be a whole section of my museum that looked like an airport terminal instead of being <laughs> home with my family, right? But we should also point out, and forgive me, John, if this uh, if this stings a little. But since you're in Florida, we should point out that perhaps that gentleman wanted to ask out a guy for the for the prom. We we have no judgments, right? Whatever they wanted, whatever they were interested in. Um, so where do we start with your books? Where do we do we start with the cafe on the edge of the world? Do we start with the big five for life? Where should we start? Yeah, people ask me that all the time. And my answer is just follow your intuition. If you feel that there was something in the discussion about the big five for life that connected with you or museum day, then go there. 
Um, the cafe story very briefly is about a guy who's 28 years old and is he's stuck on fine. You know, life is fine. He's got a fine job. He lives in an okay apartment. And at the age of 28, he's trying to figure out, isn't there supposed to be more to life than just fine? And he heads off on a driving trip, finds himself in the middle of the middle of nowhere and wanders into this tiny cafe and encounters a menu with three questions. Why are you here? Do you fear death? And are you fulfilled? And he ends up staying all night in that cafe and talking to the people there and ends up leaving with a different perspective about life overall and a very different perspective about his life in particular. And what's amazing is I find that this age of 28 and also the age of 35 are huge transformative years for some reason. And so for myself, I felt like I was the only one asking these questions when I was 28. I mean, I looked at the insanity. I remember getting off of a train, heading into downtown Chicago, going for a job interview. I was 22 years old, and I got off the train platform the wrong way. So I was actually facing like all the people who were coming into the city, and I was supposed to turn and go with them. So here I am, just a young kid, 22. I get off the train. I turn the wrong way, and I'm looking at this sea of faces coming at me, and there is not a smile on a single face. That's right. And I remember standing on that platform and thinking, oh, my God is this adulthood? Like, is this what I'm going to be doing for the next 50 years? And it felt catastrophic. But I felt like nobody else was asking that question of, isn't there more to life than this? And what I've discovered in the, the wonderful experiences I've had interacting with fans is that, listen, they tell me, I thought I was alone. I thought I was the only one asking these questions. And so what I don't want to share with the audience is, and I know you guys know this, is you're not alone. Like, there's tons of people asking these questions. Isn't there more to life than this? And if you really want to get into an awesome conversation with a complete stranger, ask them what their big five for life are and ask them, why are you here? I don't know. Why do you think you're on the planet? Statistically, you get 28,900 days. Why do you think you're here? You'll get into some of the most rich, amazing discussions of your life. And inevitably, because I do believe that there is a cosmic algorithm of the universe at play, you're going to share your big five for life. They're going to share their big five for life. And inevitably, there is going to be a connection point. Either you will be a connection point for them or they will know someone who's a connection point for you because there is a very interesting, subtle algorithm at play that helps guide us in the directions that we want to go. I think that's exactly, Alex, why I survived the car crash. It's why you survived falling asleep in the middle of four lanes of traffic. Christopher, you talked about some of the challenges, you know, things that you, you did or experienced in your I 20s that really could have gone... Five catastrophic you know yeah five, enga five engagements that's closer <laughs> to death than probably <laughs> there you go the way i did it it was yeah there you go um, well john let me let me ask you a question and you'll recognize the title of this because it's from your ted talk uh does everyone have a purpose i believe so yeah i mean listen i have two theories in the way life goes one is that your parents had sex nine months later you were born you're going to get twenty-eight thousand nine hundred days you're going to die and that's it Right, that's option number one. And when I think about what that would look like and what that would feel like, if that's actually the way the game goes, you might as well have a pretty spectacular life. You might as well drop all the fears. You might as well drop all the should-haves, could-haves, would-haves, and get out there and live a spectacular life. And the cynics say to me, well, doesn't that mean everyone's going to do something that's just completely hedonistic? No. Actually, the truth is that if, that was the, if that's the way life actually works, you're going to make sure you fill it with things that are special. The hedonistic things might last for a few minutes, but you're going to quickly realize that that has very little redeeming quality, very little redeeming value. You're going to look for something that fills your soul. So that's option one. Option two is that you were actually something before you were born. And then your spirit, your soul, whatever, at some point looked at the human experience and said, I would like to take that challenge, that challenge, and that challenge. Oh, and definitely that challenge, because that one looks seriously intimidating. And I would like to have those as part of my growth experience. And then boom, you're born. Except that when you're born, you don't remember that you picked options 1, 17, 92, and 106. And now here you are. And your great challenge is to remember that those were the challenges that you took on. And if indeed you can remember them and you can overcome them, then you have a chance to push your life in a direction and at a pace and at a feeling that you never could have imagined before. And then at the end of your life, you die and you re-enter the ether, your spirit, your soul, whatever. If indeed that's the reality and that turns out to be the truth, 
you might as well live a spectacular life. You might as well drop the fears. You might as well drop the should-haves, could-haves, had-to-haves, and get out there and face these things. In my experience, Christopher, to your question, I think it's actually the latter. When I look at my life and I look at, I like, I love data. I'm super creative, as you can tell in my writings, because I write fiction, but I love data. And when I look back over my life, I see patterns. I see behavioral traits that I was exhibiting at age six, at age 16, at age 26. And it all had to do with the same basic thing, a fear of failure. And then when I finally got over that fear of failure, which was basically number 107 on my big board of challenges, man, oh man, did my life hit in an amazing direction. And it didn't mean that it was all just perfectly easy after that, because of course I had other things that I'd picked as my challenges, but I was either going to stay sort of in the same place, dealing with the same challenges for the infinite number of times, or I could recognize what it was and I could deal with it and I could move beyond. I read something recently that you're reminding me of, John, um, that the fear of death or the fear that the game is going to be over isn't for most of us doesn't actually support us. It, it, that, that fear is what replicates itself, not the mm -hmm. wait, if there's a limitation, we should take advantage of it. But that if to your point, if you're here on some journey with these, you know, option 85 and 74 and 152, but that in that version, when you die, you actually, it's just the end of something and then something else would start. Mm -hmm. And that in, in that, in a, whatever you believe in that God can't get it wrong, that God, like, how can something be all powerful and mess up right. that in that live your life from the, you can't fail. It can't actually go wrong. And the next time around, it'll be different. And it's all, and it's all perfect every time. And when I noticed what I got from what you were sharing, but also what I, what I recently read in this was that there was so much more because I'm not viewing it from the fear of missing out or only having this amount of days or dying, there's more possibility Yeah. than the, oh my God, I only have eight days left. Even, even in the, you said the two minute warning, right? Even if you're, I would relate to the reason Tom Brady or Joe Montana or whoever great quarterbacks you want to say thrived in, in the last two minutes is because they weren't afraid. Mm -hmm. They would have been like, let's go. This is what's going to make me a legend. Whereas yeah. the, the athletes that would have been afraid in the two minutes would have been like, oh my God, I, I better do this or else I'm going to be a failure. What an interesting question. I've never, and I've been a football fan for a long time and I've never thought about that, but I, I, I would guarantee that you were hundred percent right. That they, they look for those moments. Like they, th not only do they thrive in those, but they actually want those opportunities as opposed to the person who is afraid to step into that moment. Yeah. And that builds upon itself. You don't, I don't think you get to that point by having been fearful, 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 and suddenly the <laughs> two minute warning in the AFC championships and you're like, now it's game on now. I'm right. And, and I like that because that tells me that at any point in my life, I can address these challenges and I can slowly overcome them. Um, I, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the pattern thing. When you guys look back over your lives, and obviously if we had more time to think about this, it'd be easier, but do you notice patterns and notice like, oh, and here's where I overcame that? I, I definitely do. Um... I notice most of the most of the things that I overcame were actually internal. Mm -hmm. And I relate to my one of my big life journeys is is actually the battle against myself. That if you're given if you're given privilege and gifts and opportunities, then sometimes the 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 challenges you have to overcome are simply inside of your own head. And sometimes there's other people out there that were given nothing and the things that they have to actually overcome are more like they have to overcome the outside world that is has created the odds against them and i don't think one is is better or worse or harder equal everyone's journey is is relative for them but i noticed that throughout my life that's mostly what it's been is at each level the the internal game kind of ramps up it's not the ex i'm not playing i'm not playing against the, i'm not playing against you or christopher i'm playing against the computer but the computer's me mm -hmm. yeah Chris, for you. I'm still just overcoming that Alex is a computer. The, um, <laughs> the thing that I notice is that I relate to the beginnings. So I love, I love what Alex said about, about these 
superstars crave that like last minute opportunity, right? It's the it's the Indiana Jones. Ah, are we gonna pull out of this or no? Oh my gosh, look at that, right? And what I notice is I like well five engagements right before I got married. So um, I like the beginnings of stuff. I don't like the middle. Mm. You know what I mean? So um, if you left it to me, I would like start things and have a you know a graveyard of all the things that I had started and then gotten bored with. So I relate to myself as I have to slog through the maintenance of what, you know, the boring part, right? Like create something and then, oh, now I have to freaking do the thing I created, right? Which is an interesting way to, and then, and then sometimes it starts to crash and then it gets exciting again, right? Oh, yay, we can, wow. Yeah, that's a, see that right there is a perfect example of what I'm talking about where we sort of over, not sort of, where we overcome the obstacle. So it could be, fear of failure, it could be fear of boredom, it could, there's a thousand things that it could be associated with that is that challenge. And yet what you just described is, if you always bailed, you'd never realize that coming out of the slog is actually the next big adventure in whatever this thing is, whether it's a relationship, uh, whether it's a travel. I, one of the things that has been life changing for me in association with this whole concept is tweaking my question. And so when I was younger, and I was struggling a lot with many different things, and I would do everything that I was supposed to do to make something go right, and it would go wrong. I would ask the question, why is this happening to me? I felt very wronged. I felt it was very unfair that I had done my part. Um, and for people who know a bit about my story, I had a major one of that I had done everything right since I was 12 years old, working crummy jobs to pursue a career where I wanted to be a pilot. And then it was all taken away from me um, because of a heart condition that was so rare that it only mattered if you wanted to be a pilot or an astronaut. And lo and behold, I wanted to be a pilot. So all my life savings, all this time I had invested, all my academics, all taken away. And all I asked for a year back then was, why is this happening to me? It was so unfair. But what I've learned is that that gets me nowhere. That just puts me in a victim mentality where I'm angry and I'm frustrated. But if I can ask that same question and I can just tweak the way that I ask it, it is amazing what happens. So if I ask that same question, but I say, huh, I wonder why this is happening to me. A genuine place of curiosity, of openness, of intrigue. It is insane what comes to me. And this, uh, this is something that I've really only sort of been able to get my head around, I would say, over the last five, seven years. But this has been an absolute game-changing aha moment for me. I really hear an invitation for all of us in that. Yeah, it's such a great, it's such a great coaching question too, right? To to any client who's dealing with it, could, and I, I think what I love about it is it can be the what someone interprets positive or negatively, right? You just got a big promotion. Why do you think this is happening to you? You know, you just got fired. Why do you think this is happening to you? Yeah. Um, and and I'll tell you a personal story. This so the third cafe book is not out in English yet. Um, but when I wrote it, I had uh, the, the main essence of the book was about dealing with death, uh, the death of my godfather. And he was very terminal when I wrote the book. And so I wrote the whole book and I felt really good about it. I sent it off to the editors. Everybody was happy with it. And then... I just stopped because as, as part of the writing process, you hit a point where you're like, no, it's good actually. Right. But in the process of writing a book, I take my ideas and I put them in my big idea file for that particular book. And then as I go through and write, I relook at those ideas. And there was this idea of a letter, a letter to my godfather that was going to be part of the story. And I just couldn't find a way to slot it in. It just, it just never quite felt right. And so here I am, the book is done. It's the editors have it. It's, it's, completely finished. And I'm on a trip, I'm in China. And I'm sick. I've got jet lag, I feel absolutely freaking awful. And I just want to be anywhere but where I am. I just want to be home, right. And I remember feeling that way. And I thought to myself, ask yourself the question. And again, this is a small thing. This is nothing compared to someone dealing with a major illness or a major thing. But, but in that moment, I was miserable and I asked myself, huh, so why is this happening to me? Why am I dealing with this? And the overriding thought that came to me was this idea of this letter, this letter from the book, right? 
So it's three in the morning. I'm in China, again, dealing with jet lag, crummy bed I can't sleep on. And this letter, this letter is just coming back to me again. And so I grab my laptop and I just start writing notes to myself. And the next day I was going to be on a train. So I was like, you know what? I got a two hour train ride. Let me just try and write this letter. And so I don't know where I'm going to put it in the story. I'll just try and write the letter. So I write the letter effortless, right? And then I open up the, the story, the book that is completely done where I could not for the life of me find out where I would place this part of the story. And it's just there. It's so obvious. It's looking me straight in the face. And so I plug it in. I edit the rest, the connection points, et cetera. I get on Wi-Fi. I send it off to my editor. And I said, listen, I said, I know that you guys may even be going to print because I told you it was completely done and you guys approved it. But I had this experience in here. She emails me back five minutes later and says, oh, my God, this morning I authorized the printing of the book, but I got your email and I said, don't go to print. Hold it. She said, the translator who does your translations is in my office today. She's working on it right now. This will be in the first edition. Guys, I can't tell you how many people when I've been overseas interacting with fans have said that letter was the part of the book that just brought me to tears. Right. So. The crazy part of that story is that when I had written the book, my godfather was terminal. And when I had the experience, it was six months after that, and he had passed. And I think maybe I just couldn't write the letter because I couldn't deal with it and the fact that he was going to die. And this is a man that meant so much to me until six months later, and I had a little bit of time to process. And so to your point, Alex, asking that question in the moment of our thing, it is amazing what we can learn about ourselves, about our challenges, about the things we're dealing with, if we allow ourselves to ask that question from a place of curiosity. Where do we go from here, Christopher? It's like... You just let that sink in, right? No. Um, yeah. I think maybe we give... Uh, parting thought or a parting shot to opportunity to John. What do you say? Oh boy. It's like we're all speechless. I think John. I, I, think John. I, I This has rarely happened. Alex. I've not seen you happens. glib and, you know, ready with a quick retort. This is good. I, I'll yeah. throw a final thought. So first of all, I want to thank you guys for what you do because I've listened to the show and I know that people, I think one of the things that we have the opportunity to do in life and is so rarely done these days is to be a bit raw, to, to put your genuine authenticity out there as opposed to the Instagram filter, not just on Instagram, but on all aspects of our lives. And it is in those, those moments where we allow ourselves to be raw and real that people realize it's okay to feel pain at times. It's okay to deal with struggles and that you can rise and move on beyond that to something really, really special. Um, when I was in my travels and backpacking through Africa, I arrived at a point one morning where I woke up and the overriding thought was I could die today and I'd be okay with it. That after having spent so much of my life not doing what I wanted to do, not fulfilling my life's purpose, that now having been out there traveling and seeing people from different cultures and the animals and the amazing scenery, and I just felt like, you know what, if I died today, I'd be okay with that. And so it sounds kind of crazy, but my great wish for everyone who's listening is that you take this conversation that we've had and let it sink in a little bit if that feels right to you and then map out some of your big five for life and ask yourself that question why am i here and start to put together a story that you're excited about and then start to live that story just a little bit at a time just five minutes a day until it feels right to make it 10 minutes a day until it feels right to make it an hour a day and then pretty soon, you're going to be living a truly extraordinary life. And my great hope is that it becomes so extraordinary that you can wake up in the morning and you can say, if I die today, not that I want to, but if I were to die today, I'd be okay with that. That is a beautiful note for us to end on. Thank you so much for the work that you've done. The website is John Strelecki. The man, the website, all the work is available at J-O-H-N-S-T-R-E-L-E. C-K-Y, S-D-R-E-L-E-C-K-Y. John Strelecki, thank you so much for being with us today and thanks for the great work you're doing in the world. You can find him everywhere on the YouTubes, on the Instagrams, in the LinkedIn's everywhere, John Strelecki. Alex, anything you'd like to say to the people on our way out today? No, it's perfect timing. This episode, my weekend. That's right. Enjoy the big move and the big new 
frontier, challenge, and excitement. Congratulations to you. That would be Alex Terranova. You can find him at thedreammason.com. His book is Fictional Authenticity, also contributed a chapter to Redefining Masculinity, which I should read one of these days, don't you think? I really should. I mean, yeah, you know, you should. You, you probably need that work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. My name is Christopher McAuliffe, and uh, shout out to our longtime sponsor of this show. We've been doing this for, we are in our 20th year now, officially, of doing this podcast from the days when we called it Internet Radio. And I thank you, dear listener, for sticking with us. Our sponsor is Accomplishment Coaching, the world's home of the world's finest coach training program. If you are interested in transformation, really check out Accomplishment Coaching at accomplishmentcoaching.com. And uh, each week we bring you people out on the cutting edge, people that you need to know about who are just darn interesting or thought provoking right here on the coaching show. And we will do it again next week. Thanks for being with us. And we'll talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the coaching show. We will talk to you next week.